I want you to imagine for just a moment what it might look like in the room if we could turn our souls inside out. And what would it look like? If we could turn our souls inside out to where we didn't see what was on the outside of each person in the room, but we saw rather what was on the inside, what would the room look like? I meet a lot of people who are hurting. In the course of a week, in conversations with individuals both inside of our church family and outside of our church family, I encounter people who are hurting and are experiencing a lot of pain. If we could turn our souls inside out, what would we see? Would we see the pain that many of us feel? And I don't know why you may be hurting today. It really doesn't matter to me. It's just the reality that you have come in the door, and as you come in the door, you're experiencing hurt, pain, trouble, problems, difficulties. And for some of us, that can be addressed easily. We, we hear about someone else's problems, and, when he, and we see how, how much trouble they're in, and we feel better about ourselves. Has that ever happened to you? You think, oh, I've got so many difficulties, and I'm so much uh, discouraged, and I have so many problems. And then you meet somebody who has real problems and just sort of changes everything. I had a guy one time, this is years ago, who came into my office every week and would sit down, and he was so sad and so unhappy, and everything was going wrong in his life. And one day, and this is, a, this is just, well, I, I just, I'll let what I did speak for itself. I said, I said, brother, I said, let's go on a road trip. And he said, really? I said, yeah, this is my day to go see some people in the hospital. And why don't you just go with me? And we can talk on the way. And so as we talked, he began telling me how much difficulty he had, all his problems and, and so forth. And so we went in and we began meeting different people. And I remember we, we met someone in particular who, who was, had cancer and was terminally ill. But when we came in the room, they were joyful and they were smiling, and they had an, an attitude that was fostered by God's work in their heart, but it put them in a different place. My friend, when we got back to the office, and we talked a little bit, and I prayed with him, he never came back. He was helped. His problems weren't that big. Now, others of us are, are, are the person we feel like, well, look, if, if I could make people feel better, they would feel better if they saw my problems because I'm the one with the real big ones. And, and as we approach the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, those, those emotions can become even more intense, can't they? Because whatever it is we're experiencing, the holiday is like magnifies it. It's like putting a magnifying lens over the top of it, and we feel it 20 times worse a hundred times worse than we did before. As we approach the holiday season, some of us have lost a loved one. This is going to be our first time to have a Thanksgiving without that person there or Christmas without that person there. And so, and so whatever it is that we're experiencing, whatever it is that we're facing, one of the things that we have to, to watch for is that you and I allow that problem to come between us and our relationship with God. And you can't do that. 
He's the only one that can give you relief. But we can. And I've met more than one person who claimed not to be a Christian, who grew up in a church and who had some basic religious knowledge and basic Christian doctrine in their mind, who walked away from God because they experienced a crisis, a, a, a level of suffering and hurt in their life that they believed they didn't deserve and that no good God could ever allow that to come into a person's life. And maybe you know someone like that. And so this morning, I want to speak to you. I believe the Lord wants to speak to you about his way through your problem. And, and one of the things that I tend to say to people when often I encounter someone whose pain is so great that it leaves me speechless, and that, that happens, and I don't know what to say, and I don't know what the answers are, and they're asking questions, and I don't have answers for their questions. More often than not, in one way or another, one form or another, I say to them, you know, I don't have the answer to that, but, but I know this. Our Father has a way for you through this. And so if that's you this morning, this, this word is for you. Our Father has a way for you through this. And I want you to hear that, and I, I hope that you will pray with me in just a moment, that the Holy Spirit will make this come alive for you. Because it's not the Father's heart that you are where you are this morning with the level of pain and grief and hurt that you experience. And so would you just pray with me as we begin? We want to talk about the Lord's way, and so we need the Lord to speak to us, don't we? Father, these are your children. These are your sons and your daughters. And we need to hear from you, Lord. And I can't pretend as a pastor, a shepherd, that I'm immune from the very things that I described. And so, Father, for that, that dear one that is walking through the valley of the shadow of death in their heart, it is so difficult. Their soul is being crushed. They can't even see straight. They are hurting so badly. They are so confused. They are so disoriented. And I pray, Father, that you would shine your light into the darkness. I pray that you would bring supernaturally order out of chaos. I pray that your word would bring life where only death threatens. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about the Lord's way through every problem, there are, there are five things you need to know. This is the Lord's way. It's not my way or your way. This is the Lord's way through your problem. Here's the first thing you need to know. And, and before I do that, before I read that, I really need to read Scripture, don't I? Let me call your attention, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. As I prayed about this uh, yesterday and really all week, um, this, this individual, Elisha, came to mind. But he's not the one with the problem. It's his servant. And so if you're that person we, we're wanting to minister to today, I want you to put yourself in the place of Elisha's servant. Now I'm reading 2 Kings 6, and I'm reading from verse 8. And this is Old Testament. This is ancient Israel. There's a prophet named Elisha, and there's an enemy, the king of Syria, 
It says now in verse 8, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. So he made a plan. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And so Elisha would go to the king and warn him. King of Syria is coming. Don't go there. King of Syria is coming. Don't go over there. Verse 10, Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. And so this happened multiple times where the king of Israel escaped an attack or people of Israel escaped an attack because of Elisha's warning. Verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, the enemy, was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's on his side, he's saying. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And that's not a nice get. And it was told him, Surely he is in Dothan. Verse 14, Therefore, the king of Syria, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha answered, said, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Five things you need to know about the Lord's way through every problem. Here's the first thing. Number one, the Lord knows everything about your trouble before it arrives. And this is important. The Lord knows everything about your trouble before it arrives. In verse 8, it says the king of Syria was making war against Israel. God knew that. In verse 9, this man of God, Elisha, he's, he's like... Uh, radar, spiritually, he, he's like all the best CIA and spy systems you can imagine. He has the best intelligence of anyone on the planet. He knows everything that's going on. It says the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware. Every time this one king of Syria was going to do something, Elisha intercepted that danger, said beware. Verse 10, and he was watchful there not just once or twice. And so this happened again and again and again. God knew the problems. God knew the difficulties that were coming. He knew what this king of Syria intended to do. And he knows what the enemy intends to do in your life. The story of repeated protection is a story of a man who hears God. 
again and again and again. And dear one, one man who hears God is mightier than an entire army. One man or woman who hears God is mightier than an entire army. So the Lord knew the trouble was coming. Now, I want, I want you to take this story and just park it for a moment, and I want to shift gears, and I'm going to look at another passage of Scripture. And it's the only time we're going to do this in this, in this message, but I want, to look, want you to look at Luke 22, verse 31. Now, just keep your finger there in the Old Testament and find Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This will not be on the screen, and, or you can just write it down or look it up on your, your Bible app or whatever you use to look up things quickly. Luke 22, verse 31. This is the night before Jesus is going to die on the cross. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to be betrayed, and this is after the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking to Peter, originally named Simon. In Luke 22, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but... I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he, Peter, said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he, Jesus, said, I tell you, Peter, the roosters shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. You will deny three times that you know me. In this passage of Scripture, it describes a relationship between God and your trouble that I want you to see. He knows all about your trouble, but there are three things in particular that God has done about your problem before it ever shows up in your life. Now, these are, these are, this is a position of faith based on God's Word and, and taught to us by this incident in the life of Peter. But these are three things that God has already done about your problem before it ever shows up. So if you're experiencing right now, God already did some things. God's already done some things. You need to know what they are. First of all, let me just jot down the word permission. Permission. Where'd this trouble come from? Well, in Peter's experience, Satan had to first ask permission to sift Peter. He couldn't just go and hurt him. He just couldn't go and do something to him. He had to ask permission. We see something very similar in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. These are things that are not easy to understand. But before trouble could come, God had to allow that trouble to enter into his life. Now, is God the author of what happened? No. But did God allow that to come? Yes, he did. And, and so everything that enters into your life and into my life, it is not God asleep at the wheel it is not God taking a vacation and, oops, that got through. I'm sorry that happened. No. He knows the problems that are coming into your life before you do. And so they have to go through him first. A verse that we studied last year, John 14, verse 20, Jesus said, At that day when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, Christian, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And you may remember that we tried to illustrate that on the platform, but basically you can do it with circles. He says, and this is John 14, verse 20, he said, I am in my Father. So if you have a big circle, and inside that big circle, you can draw a smaller circle, and that's Jesus. He says, I am in my Father. Big circle, Father. Smaller circle inside the Father. 
Jesus. I am in my Father, and you in me. So big circle, Father. And inside that circle, Jesus. And inside that circle, you. And then he says, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So inside the Father, there's a smaller circle, Jesus. And inside Jesus, there's you. And inside you, there's Jesus. There is no external threat, no internal threat to your life that doesn't first go through the Father and go through Jesus before it ever affects your life. His hand is on the controls. He is controlling the thermostat. Now, this causes real problems sometimes when we're experiencing difficulty and we say, oh, God, why are you letting this happen? And, that's, and a lot of people do lose faith at this moment. But I just want you to see, first of all, none of this has taken God by surprise. And in fact, not only, not only does it not take God by surprise, but he has permitted, Satan has asked to sift you, Peter. But I have prayed for you. And so there's permission involved here. God is in control. Second word is preparation. Preparation. What does that mean? It means there's already a way through this. There's already a plan. And before the problem ever came to you, your way through that problem was already established. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. That's the plan. In times of deep hurt and discouragement, the greatest danger that you and I have is that our faith will fail. He's not worried about Peter's health. He's not worried about Peter's finances. He's not worried about anything else that we tend to grab hold of and say, oh God, I'm in trouble with these areas, with these issues. He says, I pray that your faith won't fail. Satan is asked to do this. And obviously the answer was yes, but I have prayed for you. Ron Dunn, pastor of another year, preacher of another year, I heard him preach in a sermon, October 13th, 1992. I write these things down in my journal. He said this. He said, Christ prays for us through the sifting. If you feel like you're being sifted right now, Christ prays for us through the sifting. If you're near to being crushed in spirit, as you walk out of this church building tonight, know that you are walking on ground Christ has prayed over. Every Every element of your problem, every aspect of it, every circumstance, every difficulty that you encounter, Jesus has prayed for you for that moment already. And so there's been permission involved. There's been a preparation involved before the problem ever arrived. But then the third word is purpose. The third word is purpose. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, there's all kinds of dynamics going on here. Simon and Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That is plural. Satan has asked for you all, to all the disciples. He said, Satan has asked for you all, that he may sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that's singular, Peter. I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith, should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. They're going to need it. And so what's the nature of this strengthening? 
How did Peter respond when he was told he was going to deny Christ three times? How did he respond? Anybody? How did he respond? He denied the denial, didn't he? No way! No way am I going to deny you, Lord. I will die for you. I will do anything for you. No way am I going to deny you. What did he do shortly thereafter? Deny Jesus. Deny Jesus. Deny Jesus. What does that say to you about how much confidence you and I can have in ourselves? Later, Paul would call it the flesh, that part of you that tries to do life on its own, in its own strength without God. And that flesh always tries to prove itself. That, that flesh always tries to impress God with what it can do. And it's pride and we cling to it, and we, we want to do it ourselves. We want to prove ourselves. We want to have confidence in ourselves. And this sifting that God allowed to come into Peter's life, what was the effect of that? Peter learned at the end of it, I can't trust myself. I'm not all that. I'm not who I thought I was. And all that confidence just drained away, didn't it? All that self-confidence was stripped away. All that confidence in the flesh, Lord, I'll never deny. No, all that's gone. What does he learn to do? The only thing I can trust in this world is Jesus. He will give me everything I need. I don't have it in myself. He will supply me with everything I need. I don't have the resources that I need to get through life. He is the one I'm going to trust. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And so the purpose of this process that he was going through. It wasn't an, a divine accident in the universe. God was accomplishing something in Peter's life. He was stripping away one thing that was hurting him. He was letting something come into his life that was going to help him. You can't get that without faith. You can't get there. But here, I would leave you with just this. The Lord knows everything about your trouble before it arrives. All the mysteries, all the things that leave you and I clueless and speechless, he fully understands it. It is not an accident. Secondly, secondly, the Lord's protection provokes the enemy. The Lord's protection provokes the enemy. In verse 14, it says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, there's a couple things I want you to see about this. This army that was sent after Elisha was sent after Elisha because he repeatedly foiled their military efforts. And he was successful again and again and again. Listen, every time there's a spiritual advance in your life, expect a supernatural attack from an enemy. Every time you have a spiritual victory, don't be surprised if depression washes over your soul. Every time there's a spiritual advance, you should expect attack, a counterattack. Every time there's spiritual growth, you should expect there's going to be a temptation, a testing that follows. Every time there's a spiritual birth, a new Christian, you should expect that the enemy is going to throw discouragement at that new Christian. We see it in the Scripture. We see it in daily life. That, that when the Lord is working in your life, he's working in you, he's protecting you, he's doing something with you like he was doing with Elisha, here comes the enemy. And so every time something supernatural is taking place, don't be surprised that there is a reaction from the enemy. The army was sent to shut Elisha up 
Stop listening to God. Stop speaking for God. That was their mission. I'm going to get him, the king of Syria said. Third thing I want you to see. The Lord's heart is that you not be afraid. The Lord's heart is that you not be afraid. In verse 16, he says, do not fear. That's the first thing that Elisha said to that servant. That servant gets up in Dothan. He goes outside. you got to understand, Dothan's up on a, on a, they call it a mountain. It's a big hill. It's like a ridge. And he's up on that ridge, and he comes out in the morning, gets some water, whatever he was doing. He steps outside, and, and this, this mountain, Dothan, was on a ridge, and all around it were flat, were flat plains. And so he comes out and looking everywhere he can look, everywhere he can look, there's an army surrounding him. And he becomes afraid. And I don't know the nature of any fear that you may be experiencing today. It may be a fear of pain. Some of these fears are really legitimate. Fear of death, a fear of loss, fear of exposure, fear of shame. And what you need to understand is that fear is always a challenge in the Scripture. We're always told not to be afraid of those things because fear has a way of blocking what you and I most need to see by faith, and that's the Lord. Fear has a way of focusing just on, on the problem. Fear has a way of focusing just on the issue that's, that's hurting you, and it keeps your eyes from turning to God. Sometimes we pray that way. We're, we're praying about a problem, and we're so focused on the problem, we're still not talking to the Lord. We're just overwhelmed in our soul, and our, our, we're just being crushed. And so it keeps attention away from God and on the thing being feared. Now, here's the, here's the starting point for finding your way through this problem, and that's understanding this. It is not the Lord's heart that you be afraid. Your Father loves you. And difficulties and problems, yes, we all have them. And, and he said in the world you will have trouble. He, he told us that ahead of time. And when that comes into our life, he does not want you to be afraid. And you say, well, that's just insane, Pastor. If you understood what was happening to me, you would be afraid too. Well, maybe so, but that's not the Father's heart. Your Father has a different direction for you. And so how do you fight this fear? Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. The Lord alone can tell you the truth about your problem. The Lord alone can tell you the truth about your problem. In verse 16, he said, do not fear, and then he, he has something else to say after that. There's a reason why he doesn't need to be afraid. He said, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, in that moment, Elisha told the servant the truth about their situation. Now, before that, the servant didn't have the whole truth. He saw the armies. He saw what he could he could come up with with his senses, tasting, touching, feeling, you know, he, 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 he could think, he could see, he could interact with his environment, and, and some of us think that that's the whole truth about my situation, or, or this collection of facts. The facts are not the whole truth if you don't have all the facts. And so in that moment, Elisha says, here's the whole truth, you don't need to be afraid. They're more with us than with them. 
I want you just to hear Isaiah 55, verse 10. Just listen to this. You've got to listen to this carefully, okay? This is the way that truth works in your heart and my heart. This is why we need Scripture. It's why we need to read it, why we need to think about it. Isaiah 55, verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. He says the word is like rain falling on the earth and that gives everything on the earth life. My word is like that. So shall my word be. The earth, it's like a heart. And a heart without the, the, the word is like the earth without water. He says, but you put my word in the equation. You put my truth into your, your heart. And it's going to produce something. It's going to produce the very thing I want it to produce. It's going to change you. It's going to help you see what you need to see. It is the truth. And the Lord alone can give you that truth. One of the reasons you and I get afraid is because we think we know and see all there is to know and see. But God's Word tells us the truth about our situation. So Elisha's servants is here. And a lot of us are like Elisha's servant. We make judgments based on what we think we know. So when trouble comes, we think, well, God must hate me. God doesn't love me. God only hurts me. But what if you're wrong? Only God can tell us the truth. And if we reach the conclusion that God is the problem, we have just cut ourselves from our solution. We need to hear him. Now listen, God is not telling you to suck it up and try harder. He's not. Jokingly, people around me sometimes hear me say, suck it up, buttercup. You know, <laughs> God doesn't say that to us here. He says, my word is like the rain that falls on the earth. My word, when it comes in contact with your heart, it goes to work. It does something. It's a supernatural force in your life. You take my word into your mind. Take my word into your heart. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change you. It's going to give you the picture that you need. It's going to help you begin to see things differently. It's going to comfort you. It's going to remove the fear. It's going to accomplish some things. And so the real battle is much more than you've ever imagined. The real problem is much greater than what you see. There was a supernatural conflict taking place around Elisha and his servant that day. But Elisha saw it. The servant didn't. So God is saying to you and me, I have a word for you and a way for you through this. I have a word for you and a way for you through this. And I believe he says, sit with me, stay with me, look to me, and listen. Listen. A verse we, we quote often, Romans 10, 17. I'm not sure, though, that we fully understand it. It says, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
And the, and the whole, if you break down that passage, it says faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. And literally, it's the utterance of God. And so here's, if you've got to reverse it out to understand what's happening here, God speaks, and when I hear, faith is birthed in me. You say, well, I, I do believe in God. I do believe in God. And you're like Dorothy, the Wizard of Oz, clicking your heels together. I believe, I believe, I believe. But that's not the kind of faith we're talking about. We're talking about where God has spoken, and in response to what God has said, faith is your response. I can't trust God for something if he's not told me. I can't trust God for something I have not heard. And so we need to hear from him. And the Lord alone can tell you the truth about your problem. And just very practically, if you're a person here today that's struggling, I want to encourage you as your brother and as your pastor, get to a place as fast as you can where you can shut yourself off and be alone with him. Grab your Bible, grab a, a notebook, and sit with him. You say, well, I don't know where to start. Just wait. Just wait. Number five, last thing. The Lord wants you to see your situation with spiritual eyes and be encouraged. In verse 17, Elisha not only told him the truth, he showed him the truth. He prayed, it says in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now again, remember, Dothan's up on a mound. All around it are plains. The servant comes out. He sees this massive army of Syrians surrounding the entire mound on which Dothan set. But when his eyes were opened, he saw something entirely different. Because the Bible says, Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. So, so the, the, the enemy was on the plain, but on the mountain, on the mountain were chariots of fire. On the mountain were the hosts of the armies of God. And they were between Elisha and the enemy, all around him. Don't you wish you and I could see our circumstances with God's point of view? We think we know what's happening, but we don't. We think we see and understand our difficulty, we don't. And in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, a time of prayer. The pastors and I are going to be standing down front. You know, one way that you could respond, and this would be perfectly legitimate, is to say, you know, I'm, I'm a person in need. I'm going to go ask one of those guys to pray with me. Now, there's nothing magical about us. You could grab the Christian next to you in the pew and do the same thing. Say, pray for me. But Elisha prayed for the servant, and the servant could see. And sometimes we can't do it just on our own. Sometimes, yes, I can seek the Lord, and he is enough. But sometimes he wants to use a brother and sister to come alongside us and to pray with us and to speak to us and to speak truth to us and to encourage us. Maybe you already know who that person is, and you need to go to them and say, look, I haven't been honest. I haven't told you everything. I'm hurting. I'm in trouble. I'm in need. Would you pray for me? 
Or what would you say to someone who's going through this situation? Because that's me. And if someone comes up to you, Christian, and they ask you a question like that, and you don't know the answer, can I give you the answer? I don't know. That's the best answer to give. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray with you. And when we're not together, I'm going to be praying. And I'm just going to pray with you about this and just see what the Lord says. As the Lord speaks to my heart, and as I read in Scripture, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share with you what, what I believe the Lord's saying. We don't need to make things up. So Christian, here today, the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of you. You already have the ability to see the unseen. You already have the ability to receive the guidance that you desperately need in this moment. You have that in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have it. But sometimes you and I have gotten so bogged down. We're so panicked. We're so fearful. We're so worried. We're so grieved. We're so in so much pain that we just need to hold a hand out to somebody else and say, would you just pray with me? You can't do it by yourself. Dear one, church was his idea. Man didn't make the church. God invented the church. And there are things that you cannot get through. There are things you cannot learn. There there are aspects to your own spiritual growth that are not going to happen apart from your relationship with another Christian.